That's right. Last episode in the month of April, and as John Rothstein would famously say, we sleep in May. So before I get that sleep in, time to crank out one last episode of the Igloo. Timmy Ice checking in with you, and I wanted to start that episode off with one of my all-time favorite annual memes, of course. It's gonna be May. Yeah, today's April 30th, as y'all know. And for those of you who really know me, every single year, whether it be the picture and meme of itself, or, as I did this year, the video with the audio, the meme included with the audio, as you just heard, it's gonna be May. It's it's canon for me. It's it's a yearly ritual now. But anyways, welcome to the show. And this is a big one. And it's a big one because of the guest I'm going to have on later, which I will not spoil now. You will know who it is by the end of the segment, though. So, a lot of portal news. A lot of portal news. Georgetown has been making a lot of moves. They got Brandon Murray. Probably mentioned it before. I I lose track sometimes. But they get Brandon Murray from LSU. They also added two other transfers to their backcourt. Primo Spears from Duquesne. Jay Heath from Arizona State. And... According to John Rothstein, he's going to need a waiver for next season since he is now a two-time transfer. And this guy, again, was at Arizona State last, but he started his collegiate career at Boston College. So, we got some interesting things happening. I mean... I definitely wanted to touch on Georgetown. Let's talk about UConn get, was able to get a big-time important transfer, and that was Naheem Aline. Highly regarded transfer previously from Virginia Tech. I mean... This guy is good. One of the best transfers out there. Averaged about nine and a half points a game. Again, he's perfectly fits what UConn's trying to do. And replacing a guy like Tyrese Martin. He's going to be important. Very, very important. Speaking of UConn transfers, Corey Floyd Jr. staying in the league and going to Providence. And it's kind of funny how things are panning out. And again, we talk about The UConn-Providence rivalry, it's it's clearly the Big East rivalry in New England. You know, Providence fans, it definitely matters and then some to them. UConn fans don't really see it as 
as much of a rivalry, but you know, like I've seen on social media that UConn fans have become a little less tolerant of Providence fans this season because of everything that's happened this year with the Friars. I mean, part of me wants for them to be to have a little more animosity towards Providence because I mean, again, it's a regional rivalry, and it, to me, I. It, it should be a driving force in the Big East. That's just my two cents. And then Shaheen Holloway has been making some splashes. Well, first of all, finally got a couple assistant coaches. Rasheen Davis brought in from Manhattan and then from his staff at St. Peter's. Another former Seton Hall coach, Ryan Whalen, another former guest of the show. As Whalen will now be an assistant coach where, again, when he was at Seton Hall, he was the director of basketball operations. So uh, from one from a Seton Hall alum, I want to say, Ryan, hey, welcome back. And I'm allowed to show my bias in this sense because, again, I'm an alum. Ryan was the guy as the director of basketball, basketball operations who kind of oversaw my living arrangement my, my sophomore year with uh, one of my best friends, one of my best friends who was a manager for the team. Uh, shout out my guy, Nick Romano, who was, who's been on the show before, and then uh, freshman at the time, Veer Singh. So he kind of oversaw that. So I kind of, you know, I got close with him, closer to him then. So when I found out this news, I, I was pretty ecstatic. So I'm excited to see Ryan back in South Orange. And then... I'm trying to think. I, I got to be sure of like, okay, did I mention this? Did I not? One thing I know I didn't mention. Well, okay. L- let me just backtrack here. Because I got to be sure that I feel like I said it, and that, but then again, maybe I didn't. But yeah, I didn't. So while we were gone, in fact, I didn't even lead with this. I'm a little, I'm kicking myself a little bit, but the retirement of Jay Wright. Wow. That's all I got to say. Wow. I mean, yes, I know Jay is 60 years old. But I felt like Jay had a lot left in the tank. I felt like he probably had like, Five, four to five years left. At least that's what I thought. So when that bombshell dropped a little over a week ago, like I saw that, I was thinking to myself, like this, this has to be some kind of practical joke. But then again, April Fool's Day was three weeks ago. It wasn't. It was the real deal. Jay had, as he said, kind of in his press conference last Friday, not yesterday, but the the week before that, he kind of knew that this was going to be it for him probably heading into the NCAA tournament or sometime in March. So, and I'm not going to lie, probably the best kept secret in college basketball, like in terms of like, preserving the secrecy of it. But Jay Wright went out on his own terms. And I commend him so much for that. He didn't need the fanfare of a farewell tour. 
Jay's not that kind of guy. But for me, you know, I grew up in upstate New York and I got I had the opportunity to go to Syracuse basketball games growing up and Jay Wright for as long as I can as long as I can remember, he took over Villanova's program when I was in kindergarten. So that was right around the time like I was like consistently going to games like multiple a year. And yeah, Jay Wright was a guy I instantly identified. Like, yeah, I know Jay Wright. And for a while, I couldn't help, maybe because of the fact that he would beat Seton Hall down several times during the course of my college career. But I always thought Jay Wright was a bit of a douchebag, like a pompous douchebag who whined and got his way with officials and using the power of Villanova to wield his way into some calls and working the officials in in his favor. But I came to realize, you know, I would see all these post-game tweets and I just thought they were so super condescending. Like, you know, like he doesn't mean jack shit when he tweets this. But the moment I knew he was genuine, so, and I've told the story on Spaces, but I, for those of you that haven't heard it, I want to tell it now. So, it's my senior year of college, Nova's playing Seton Hall at the Rock, final week of the regular season, and Nova wins in overtime by a point. And, yeah, I'm devastated, pretty sad that we lost, but I remember... So, working with Bluebeard Army, you know, helping, you know, take down you know, signage for courtside seats and all that, you know, putting away fat heads and all that jazz. You know, I was just going about doing that stuff. And then I see Jay in the tunnel where Villanova or any visiting team would come out. So I, I run into Jay and by the way, for, for context, I had made a sign for this game where I found Jay Wright's senior year high school photo. I blew it up. And in case you've been living under a rock, Jay's real name is Gerald. J-E-R-O-L-D. That is Jay Wright's real name. And I just wrote, what's up, Gerald, on it. And that night, there was a... The, the, the studio crew from Fox Sports 1, the, the great Rob Stone, along with Steve Lavin and it was either Casey Jacobson or Donnie Marshall was also there. And then Gus and Raph were on the call. But I run into Rob Stone prior to the game. I told him about this sign. And he wanted to know where the sign was. I told him, you know, it's it's on the seats. It's on one of the seats on the, you know, behind the basket where Villanova, the, on the side where Villanova's bench is. So Rob finds it. And later on in the night, uh, apparently Rob showed the sign to Jay. Jay got a kick out of it and he signed it. He signed it. And the slick, slick bastard wrote, you know, he signed his name and then wrote go cats underneath slick. But I, 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 my, I, I instantly lit up cause I thought that was awesome. I'm like, he's a good sport. Good guy. Like that. My opinion of him changed slightly then, but it changed forever. With this interaction in that tunnel, I said, hey, Jay, I was the one who had the sign of you with your 
uh, senior year high school photo on it. And the exact words he said to me, quote, how the fuck did you find that? And he just laughed it off. I, I couldn't help but laugh. I'm like, <laughs> and so I channeled my inner Timmy, Timmy Turner response. I'm like, uh, internet? And he was like, oh, I thought that was great, man. I was like, oh, I appreciate it. Hey, good game tonight. And um, hope to see you in the Big East tournament next week. And we didn't play them, but we saw them the next week because Villanova was playing Marquette the game before Seton Hall played Butler at the Garden. And me and my friends, you know, he's coming out of the tunnel and right near us. And me and my friends, you know, we just got up and, you know, we, we you know, chatted like, Gerald, Gerald. He turns around, he sees us. And like, you guys again? Like, oh my, like, Jay is such a good guy, a good sport. And like, the way he has become an ambassador for the Big East, an ambassador for the game in general not just the game in general and college basketball too. I don't like, I don't think I could find the right words to encapsulate what his legacy was reinventing Villanova to become a a new blood. Like it, it, I don't want to instantly jump to the conclusion that they are a blue blood, new blood. Absolutely. So the way Jay has reinvented the Wildcats program into a juggernaut, the class of the Big East, second to none. And I commend him so much for that. And he's done it the right way with class, bringing in guys that, I mean, honestly, I ha- I don't remember a single Villanova player that you could say, oh yeah, that guy's an asshole. Every single one of them, consummate professional, good person. And you've heard a lot of these Villanova guys like D-Ray, Daniel Ochefu, Phil Booth, to name a few. All good people. And I met Chris Jenkins too at the guard. Another good dude. And I can't think of any former Villanova players that within my recent memory were like, guys were just jerks. All of them were super cool and good people. And again, that's a that's a testament to the kind of person Jay Wright is and the kind of program that he runs. And now that Kyle Neptune will take over, two things. Number one, Neptune was a trusted assistant under Jay for eight years. Essentially... You know, his first year was when they won the regular season title and essentially began this run of dominance in this new Big East. Establishing itself as the top dog in this realigned conference. And number two, by the way, you know, did a solid job at Fordham. And now, with this move, seven of the 11 head coaches in the Big East are people of color. I tweeted this. When it comes to the Big East, it's not about be the be the change. The Big East is the change with this kind of progression with 7 of 11 head coaches being people of color. It's incredible. It's remarkable and it just shows how progressive of a conference this league is and like again, like I love this league because of stuff like this. Getting out ahead of the curve, having great personalities as their coaches. And yeah, Jay Wright Retiring, yeah, it's going to sting a lot. 
because the, he's got that cult of personality to him. He's polarizing. But at the end of the day, a great coach and an even greater person. And when I saw Jay at the Big East Tournament back in March, when I told him about where he knew me from, because he did say I looked familiar, I told him about where he knew me, where I knew him from, where he knew me from. He's like, oh yeah, I remember now. And he got to talking to me like what I'm doing now, what I'm here for. And he was just, couldn't have been nicer to me. So Jay, I hope you, somehow, some way you're listening to this. I wish you the best in retirement. And there's always a spot open for you here in the Igloo to talk about your legendary coaching career and best of luck in your continued endeavors uh, with Villanova University. Pretty sure I missed some stuff, but I mean, if I did, I'll talk about it after this next segment. As I mentioned, big guest coming up next, and that is one of the voices for Big East College Basketball on Fox. The one and only Tim Brando is going to join me next to talk about this past season and a whole lot more here on the Igloo. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back inside the Igloo. It's been quite the offseason already. And while we will touch on the offseason with the guest I have here right now, it was a great season around the Big East. And joining me to talk about that great season and all of, and of course, the offseason, which has already been hectic as it is, uh, the great broadcaster on Fox Sports. You hear him all the time. He was at the Big East Tournament. That's where I met him and essentially laid the foundation for this appearance today, the great Tim Brando. Uh, from one Tim B to another, welcome to the show, man. I mean, I mean you think I'm going to tell another Timmy B no when you ask me to come on your podcast? Are you kidding me? Of course. Listen, uh, I think I probably got you, though, with how quickly I said I was available. Uh, that probably surprised you a little bit today. But uh, I'm happy to be with you. And, and yeah, just as I look down at um, – Twitter, I see, you know, Fanaland going crazy again with more Providence players coming to town and coming from a variety of places of, what is it, a handful now of uh, portal guys that are all difference makers uh, coming to Ed Cooley's team. So, you know, the, the times they are changing and, uh, you know, I, I, I let the dust settle and then tell me who's on the team before I, I get to uh, the dunk, you know, maybe in the uh, uh, mid to late December, or early January, and we'll go from there. But, uh, and then how about the Jay Wright, uh, news, you know, since, um, uh, the end of the, the final four, that's, uh, that's one that, 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 uh, shook the rafters quite a bit. And, uh, but, but I think, you know, we, we, um, we have to come to terms with the fact that the baton's being passed to a new generation of coaches. And, uh, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, I've, I met Jay when he was, uh, an assistant coach running, running for spaghetti, uh, for, for Roly Massimino and, uh, long before he became a head coach at Hofstra. So, uh, I don't plan to retire anytime soon, Tim. So I'm guessing, uh, I'll see a, a few more of these guys that sort of grew up with me or even younger than me, you know, Jay's 60, I'm 66. So, um, guys that were assistant coaches have now become hall of famers and are retiring and I'm still doing this. So, and, and happily so. 
So let's talk about, um, obviously, I saw you at the Big East tournament, and you did some games at the tournament a year ago when it was very limited attendance. Right. So for, for you personally, and you were, by the way, on the call for the the last game that we saw before the pandemic struck everything down. Yeah. So yeah. given that context, just how great was it to be back in that kind of environment again? It was the first time, you know, uh, people ask me all the time, uh, God, Tim, uh, how long you keep, you think you're going to continue to do this? And I'm like, stop rushing me to the retirement uh, boat. I, I love this. You know, I had never been uh, at the Big East tournament with a packed house and uh, normalcy. You know, the first tournament assignment I got was 2020. And that was, of course, the ill-fated game called at halftime, the last game playing. And no confetti coming down when they called the end of the season that year. And then, of course, the following year, the COVID year, we're elevated uh, to basically um, the, uh, the the mezzanine to call the game with plexiglass between us. And, uh, you know, other than the, the maintenance workers and uh, some close family and friends of the players, no one else was in the building at MSG. So to be back midcourt and doing – you know, games at Madison Square Garden, the way they're supposed to be done and the tournament looking like the uh, the tapes of the, tour the tournament that I remember watching on television was really a, a blast for me. Uh, for years, I had done the SEC and the ACC tournaments. And uh, in fact, I'd done the uh, ACC tournaments all the way up until 2019, the championship games for them on Raycom, which is a syndicator. And they went out of business because uh, the ACC decided to have their own their own cable channel with ESPN. So that went away and uh, Fox immediately asked me to join Gus to, to do the other games that Gus couldn't do. And uh, I was thrilled because I'd never been to a Big East tournament, you know, all the years uh, that they've had it. Um, and I'd done a lot of Big East games through the years, but never the tournament. So it felt wonderful, you know, and uh, even the first day, you know, the, the Butler, uh, the Butler game to open uh, when they really, you knew that, you know, you're watching Xavier and you know, they need to win the game. Xavier's right on the bubble and they're, and they're rivals and Butler beats them. That was a pivotal game. The place was rocking and the rating was through the roof. I think the rating, we had more than 3 million people watching uh, first round games on a, on a Wednesday afternoon. That's amazing. And then, of course, the next day, when uh, when Providence came out onto the floor uh, to play Butler, my God, it was a, another incredible uh, afternoon. And they barely got out of there alive, as you know, barely won the game. And then um, the, the next two games, you know, the, the, they were just amazing. You know, five, I think I had one blowout in the first five games. You know, I did the first three on, on Wednesday, the first two on Thursday. And then it just carried all the way through when, when Gus took over to the semifinals and finals. It was, it was a blast. And it was, uh, for me, uh, you know, a first. And, and that's, it's funny when you're my age and you've been doing this for as long as I have. I've called, you know, conference championship games and football and basketball forever. But just doing a first round and a quarterfinal round of the Big East with a house full, with, you know, with, with ramifications for the NCAAs at stake, was really cool you know you could feel it big time now 
there was a lot to behold. I mean, Villanova going to the Final Four was great for the league. Providence winning their first ever regular season title, and they were yeah. they were a charter member of the league. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of storylines, but you know, for you, what what else really stuck out to you? around the Big East this year, you know, impress you a little like with the depth of the league, you know, surprising outcomes like DePaul, you know, yeah. exceeded expectations. And yeah. I mean, and, and same with Creighton and obviously Providence, the regular season champs. I, I, I believe that the thing that, that, um, that caught my eye the most beyond those first two. Now look, what Providence did uh, in the regular season in a lot of respects uh, gave the Big East the buzz that they would have not had otherwise during the regular season. They, they had quality teams at the top. They had as many as five teams, you know, ranked in the top 30, but to have a team that was, you know, winning 18, 19, 20 in a row with a team that, you know, doesn't have, you know, a lottery pick on it at all, maybe not even a draft pick. Okay. Was amazing. And for them to win their first regular season, uh, outright championship and do it uh, against a quality Creighton team in blowout fashion and then have the dunk go berserk the way it did. That was special TV. Uh, I would say that that and, of course, Villanova's uh, run to the Final Four were the two biggest highlights of the year. But I would say also the resiliency of, of teams like Creighton, you know, who lost so many good players. Um, through the course of the season. And even in the Big East tournament, um, lost even more players. To, to get to the – and be very competitive with Kansas in the second round. I mean, they pushed Kansas in the second round, no doubt about it. And without Kalkbrenner, too. Yeah, without Kalkbrenner, who got hurt in the Big East tournament. Uh, Hawkins had just gotten well. You know, he had, he had, he had been out some at the end of the year. and. Uh, and then, of course, again, without, without their point guard, which it's seemingly every year Creighton loses a point guard going into the, into the, uh, into the Big East tournament. You know, um, that's just amazing. And, and that kid was a player of the year type of talent. And still, uh, not only did they perform admirably in the, in the final with Villanova, but they, they I thought, acquitted themselves beautifully in the NCAAs. You know, I, I thought they were a one-game punch-out. I really did. And not only did they win the first game, but they, they pushed Kansas in the second game, flat-out pushed them. Uh, one of the tougher games that Kansas had en route to the national championship. So those are the things that jump out uh, for me. Obviously, uh, uh, DePaul was better than people thought. But, uh, you know, it's still going to take a while, I, I believe, for them. Uh, St. John's was besieged with injuries. You know, I, Mike Anderson couldn't catch a break with guys that were hurt all year long too, but still managed to have another winning season. The league is in great shape, but I will tell you, I've got great concern uh, for where the league is nationally now without Jay. Uh, I, I think his decision, while I understand it, I get it. He deserves to go out on his own accord. No doubt about that. Uh, it was like a punch to the gut, I think, uh, to the Big East to lose him from a national standpoint. Jay has been the, the driving force of viewership, and I'm speaking to you from a broadcaster's point of view now, okay? Outside the Big East footprint, 
the reformation of the new Big East has all been about Jay and what Jay has achieved in uh, the last decade and especially the last seven to eight years where they've been one of the most dominant basketball programs in the country. Uh, you know, three final fours in six years, two national championships in three. Uh, he created a blue blood. You know, Villanova was a highly thought of uh, historic program because of past successes, but they weren't a blue blood. And even Jay would talk you off the rooftop if you started using those two words, even with his team. But the truth is, Villanova was the team that viewers would come from other time zones to watch when Big East basketball was on. And uh, that, that's a concern moving forward. Who, who can take the mantle? Uh, can Villanova keep, keep it going? Can this next version of them? And it looks like it's well-planned. I know, Kyle, uh, I know that this was uh, well-orchestrated and organized, really, by Jay. Uh, he did it the way he wanted to do it. Um, but it's going to be a big loss, you know, across the country in terms of familiarity to the Big East and to the Villanova program. So we'll see how that goes moving forward. Um, you know, you also got a coaching change at Seton Hall and a few other places. But I, but, but the, the loss of Jay is one that is going to, I think, weigh heavily on everybody uh, at the Big East office moving forward to see how, how things shake out in the next few years. Uh, Ed Cooley might be the guy, you know, maybe it's Providence that, uh, uh, that takes the mantle here. I think he's charismatic and, and uh, energetic, enthused. People love Ed. I mean, they do, but, but Providence has been a regional program as have really all the, the Big East programs, which is fine. Those are big marketplaces, the big cities in the Northeast. So you get a, a good bit of viewership, but Villanova was the crossover program. They were the ones that you could put them in Pauley Pavilion. You could put them, uh, you know, at Fog Allen, put them in the ACC, and they're a drawing card, okay? Uh, that's the kind of program that, 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 that uh, you really need in your league. And if you have two of them, then you're through the roof good, you know? So we'll see where they go from here. So, so as we, you know, like essentially the last thing I want to talk about, you know, like essentially, you know, like, you know, three strikes and not really three strikes. That, that seems like a negative connotation, yeah. but let's talk. Uh, so you, you touched on um, a couple of the new coaches, Kyle Neptune, obviously Jay Wright's replacement at Nova. Right. Shaheen Holloway after a Cinderella run in St. Peter's returns home to Seton Hall. And then talk about the other hires. And they're familiar faces too, that have had great success nationally. Sean Miller's back at Xavier. Thad Mata's back at Butler. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously Jay Wright's a huge blow, but I mean, the those four hires, I mean, I would say that that's a pretty good class. And again, you know, like it we is. haven't had a lot of new hires in recent four. It is. And and you know, uh in both cases with Sean and with Thad, we're talking of uh potentially anyway, proud traditions reborn. Uh, and, you know, the Xavier uh, hire of Thad, particularly given, um, excuse me, the Xavier hire of Sean, again, to go with Thad at Butler, all right, it's, that's just going to make that rivalry even more intense. And it's intense. Every time those two teams play, uh, it's like they're, they're, they're battling for turf 
uh, of the new formation of the new Big East. You know, they were the teams that came in for the reformation. And they had already been rivals as Catholic schools in the Midwest that, um, that went after each other. And, you know, when Butler had those runs to the final four in 10 and 11, after Xavier had gotten so close for so many years, I mean, dating back through a lot of other coaches well before, um, you know, Stevens got there and, and uh, they, they, that stole a lot of thunder from Xavier, really. And uh, I don't think they've forgiven Butler for it. So it's going to be wild to watch how that all uh, plays out. And, she, you know, Holloway, uh, Seton Hall, and I, I really believe this, there are a lot of detractors um you know, to the, the, the previous coach that went to Maryland, but I thought he did a hell of a job. I don't know about you. I thought he did a hell of a job. And if they had played basketball through 2020, if we had not had COVID, would you not say that that, that Seton Hall team was potentially a final four team? Potentially. I, I, think they, I, I, I yeah. mean, second weekend at bare minimum. And then another thing, I mean, we're talking about head coaches that went on their way out. Laval Jordan had a great team at Butler and you yeah. know, who knows what they could have done in the big East and the yeah. NCAA tournaments, but unfortunately yeah. that doesn't happen. And he gets fired. Kevin Willard, Kevin Willard did a great job that year. I, in 2020, that year, just a few weeks earlier before, you know, that dark day, March um, 12th of 2020 hit us a day. I'll never forget. Me neither. Uh, he had just beaten Villanova at Villanova for the very first time. That was a hell of a game. One of the greatest regular season games in the Big East since the reformation of the Big East took place. And, you know, he had NBA guys. He had strong inside-outside combination players. It was the most talented team I think he'd had. Even more talented than the one that won the Big East tournament title. Uh, I thought they were that good. Uh, now, they slipped a little bit after they beat Villanova um, that year. But I thought they were just on cruise control getting to the tournament. And they had another on switch. They had another gear that they could get to. Um, but but you raise a very good point. Uh, the hirings, the additional hirings, particularly of Thad and Sean, because they've been there and done that, uh, that, that, that is something that can reinvigorate maybe some of what's lost with Jay leaving. Uh, I do think Kyle Neptune, is, he's, he knows the Villanova way. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but it's going to take a while for people around the country elsewhere to understand his M.O. You know, Jay just he was the total package. You know, he had the George Clooney good looks. He had those flashy suits. Hell, he even looked better than all the rest of the coaches in warmups. You know, he just he was a he was a guy that people gravitated to. He had the the it factor and he, he always said the right things. He, he, his program was one of, uh, of class personified. Uh, he was, uh, he had a very strong social media, uh, uh, position, you know, he worked it, you know, he promoted his program and he brought a lot of people back to Villanova that had left when, when they got upset with Roley and the whole big five breakup and all that had taken place post, you know, his national championship in 85. He brought Roley back and, and, and made him a part of the, the new Villanova um, and championed him for the, for the Naismith Hall of Fame, unlike any other, 
you know, uh, coach I, I, I've ever seen for a coach that preceded him. Uh, and, and of course, you know, Roley was able to see him win that first title, which I know meant a great deal to him uh, in 2016. But uh, the problem that we have nationally with both Thad and Sean, for all that they bring in terms of energy to the Big East, there will be some outside the footprint that are talking retreads and issues. You know, Sean's issues at Arizona and, uh, you know, how Thad just, uh, you know, had to leave uh, the way he left at Ohio State. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with that uh, narrative, but you can bet there'll be a few people out there with that narrative. Uh, they can overcome that with success. And uh, I think both are capable of having great success. So, I mean, again, you know, it was a great year in 2022, but obviously, you know, again, the off season is, it, it's gotten full <laughs> throttle, but I mean, not there's boring, lots it's of, not boring, is it? <laughs> like, I mean, nor, normally it's not as lively, but again, four coaching changes, you know, all these transfers, um, Providence is like, they're getting transferred after, as you alluded to with all yeah. that, but it's going to be, I mean, you know, you, you got, you got some new fate, new faces, but old, but familiar, but new faces to the league. Uh, and obviously, um, you know, the, the programs are going to remain the same. It's still going to be the biggest, and there's a lot to look forward to next season. Tim Brandon. I want to uh, mention before I, I get out of here real sure. quick, uh, Rick Gentile's name, because uh, Rick has been the communications director for the Big East uh, since they reformed. Uh, former television executive actually hired me at CBS in 1996 to do my first NCAA tournament for him. Uh, I went on to do 18 more of them before I left in 2013 for Fox. Uh, Rick uh, decided to retire. Uh, and I know they're having their, their spring meetings and they're honoring him and uh, they should because he did a lot to get the word out. Uh, he did a lot to, to promote uh, Big East basketball and understanding how uh, television works. He was a great liaison between the conference office and uh, our network, you know, particularly with games changing because of COVID circumstances, trying to fit, you know, make up games into this or that TV slot. It's not an easy task. And uh, he did a marvelous job. So I wanted to make mention of that while I was on with you. And I think that's couldn't have been a better, uh, good apropos way to wrap this segment up, Tim, again, um, you alluded to it again, you know, like this is kind of like a last minute setup, but I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, Tim, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, best, uh, you know, enjoy the rest of the off season. Then um, I'm sure to see you sometime in the fall. And I'd love to have it back on the igloo then. Well, you bet. Uh, and uh, come out of the, uh, come out of the igloo every now and then and uh, warm up and, <laughs> And we'll have some fun one more time. I have great respect for young guys, you know, treading the water and getting above the waves and uh, making an impact. Sounds like you're doing that. And I'd be awfully uh, uh, here. I'd be here to help you anytime that you so choose to get where you want to go. Uh, keep your dreams alive. And remember, the journey is the best part. One and only Tim Brando, ladies and gentlemen. More on the Igloo is coming up after this. Welcome back inside the Igloo. Now, to wrap up this episode, just some women's news and notes from around the league. Well, the first big one is all Big East first teamer from DePaul, Sonia Morris. She has entered the transfer portal. Yep, that's right. 
DePaul's second leading scorer from this past year and the number one scorer from the year before, she is in the portal and, well, just because they're in the portal, by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're gone for good because there have been some people who have entered the portal and have removed their name from the portal to stay with the school they last played with. So, don't read too much into it just yet, but currently as it stands, Sonia Morris in the transfer portal from DePaul. Speaking of the transfer portal, the UConn women, they added someone from the portal, and it was, and I'm pulling it up now, it is Lou Lopez Senechal, 6'1", grad transfer forward, coming over from Fairfield and hailing from Grenoble in France. I, I, I tried to not channel my inner Howard Finkel, R.I.P., saying Grenoble in the French Alps because that is how Howard Finkel would announce the late, great, Andre the Giant, because that is where Andre was from. So, so Lou Lopez, Senechal, now a Yukon Husky coming over from Fairfield. Meanwhile, yesterday, some news coming out of Yukon. Rising sophomore Caroline Ducharme underwent successful surgery on her left hip, and that was on Thursday. She has begun a rehab program for that, and she will be ready for the 2022-23 preseason. So, you know, wishing Caroline a speedy recovery, uh, like the official Twitter account did as well. Obviously, I mean, it could it could have been a lot worse, but hey, it's all about health and staying healthy. And, and again, when it came to UConn, injuries brought them down a lot throughout the season and caused them to not be as great as expected. But yet, when they got to full health pretty much, and they still got to play for the national championship against South Carolina where they came up short, as everybody knows now. But knowing, again, what UConn's capable, what they were capable of this past year when they were fully healthy. Just imagine what this team's going to be like next year. I mean, yes, I know they lose Olivia Nelson to Dota. I know they lose Avina Westbrook, Kristen Williams to the draft. And Dorka Yuhas as well. But they add in Lou Lopez, Senechal, and they add, you know, their two incoming freshmen, as I talked about before. And w- when it comes to Caroline Ducharme, I mean, you talk about this rising sophomore class of, with her and AZ Fudd. Making sure those two can go a full season with and miss minimal games. That's going to be crucial for this team next year if they want to go back and win 
the national championship, which I think they might be in the best position to do so heading into next season. And they've got revenge on the mind, knowing that Paige Beckers is now a junior, Fudd and Ducharme are sophomores. I mean, watch out, because a fully healthy UConn team is a team that you don't want to mess with. So that is going to be the note I end this episode of the Igloo with. Now, again, it's going to be May. John Rothstein said it best. We sleep in May. I'll probably have a new episode probably sometime like two weeks from now. That would be my guess because I'm going to get my sleep in May. I won't be sleeping the entire month. I'm not going to pull a green day, you know, say wake me up when September ends or in this case when May ends. But yeah, two weeks from now, new episode. Hopefully get an interview because I've been I've been grinding. I, I want to get some interviews to relay to all of y'all as well. But again, thanks to Tim Brando for being my guest on this episode. From one Tim B to another, appreciate it. Um, love how open you, openly willing you are to you know mentoring a young guy like me. It definitely doesn't go unnoticed. I appreciate that. So, till next time, Timmy Timmy I signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in, and I will catch y'all next time.